To what's this Dao all about? A lighthearted look at Taoism featuring Dr. Carl Totten and Todd Perry. Carl is the founder of the Taoist Institute in North Hollywood, California. Todd Perry knows a little about Taoism and is mainly here because he owns a few microphones. Now, let's learn what's this Dao all about. Everybody. Welcome back to What's This Dow All About? My name is Todd Perry, and with me is C. Joe, Dr. Carl Totten. Hello. It's a pleasure to be here, and thank you to all of our listeners. This show has become... Uh, I, I knew that we had something good going here, but the fact that people have found it and are listening to it, um, the amount of people listening now is very surprisingly positive, so... A podcaster never reveals his numbers, like a lady, <laughs> lady in her age, but we have a lot of people listening these days. So thank you so much for spending time with us, and no, uh, nothing, nothing makes me happier than when people write and they say, you know, thank you for the show, we enjoy the show. I listen, some people, I listen multiple times to each episode, they tell me, and say, they say they share it and they listen to it with their families, yes. like that, so um, that's, uh, that's, it's great that we could create something that, you know, hopefully people of all ages could get into um, and so now on today's show, we're going to talk a bit about meditation later on today. Dr. Totten had some stuff to say about that. We have chapter mm-hmm. 22 to get to, and we have the conclusion of our cliffhanger. <laughs> Todd's, top 15, uh, we had, uh, Todd's top 15 couplets from the Tao Te Ching. Not verses, but couplets. Um, you know, little parts from the verses. And um, uh, we're, we're going to start off with number five here. And this is from chapter 9. Uh, holding a cup and overfilling it cannot be as good as stopping short. Mm, indeed. <laughs> one has to uh, leave space if one is going to be responsive to what's really happening in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're already filled with your own you know, ideas, thoughts, opinions, there's no room for anything else. No, there's no room. And then, and then also... Uh, it has something to do also, I believe, about excess and overdoing it versus, you know, being somewhat moderate in one's intake of anything or... A Taoist knows when they've had enough. Yes. Yes. Chapter 4. And this, this goes with a couple of things we were talking about on the last show. This is from Chapter 22. Because they do not contend, the world cannot contend with them. Hmm. You know, if I don't put myself out there in some kind of fight or put myself in opposition of anything, mm-hmm. then nothing's going to be kicking back at me. I'm not going to feel that almost reciprocal karma. Right. And even some of the Taoist martial arts, you know, like Tai Chi and things like that, are about getting out of the way, you know, moving aside, you know, before the force reaches you mm-hmm. and you have to destroy it. <laughs> right. You know, if you duck, you slip aside, then... You know, you, you are spared uh, injury, and the person is spared injuring you. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's, it's a choice to achieve harmony in any kind of interaction, whether it be a physical, emotional, mental 
interaction. It's choosing harmony versus conflict. Yes. And that choice, 90% of the time is available to us. But the mind, the reptilian mm -hmm. brain we think with, goes usually almost directly to conflict. Right. The ego. Yes. Sure. The part of us that wants to be right mm -hmm. and feel that I'm on top. I'm in control. Yes. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the winner here. Right. And where there's a winner, of course, there needs to be a loser, right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> We've got to be winning. We've got to win all the time. You're going to be tired of winning. Uh, yeah, and, and, and again, yeah, the, the, the option for harmony is always there. And the sage... Or people who are really good at what they do kind of work with what they have. They yeah. work with the grain on the wood when they're cutting it. Uh, there's the Chongsa verse about the uh, ox and the guy who's cutting up an ox with a knife. And because he knows how to use it so skillfully, the, the blade never dulls. Right. But to the amateur working with it, they have to keep sharpening the knife. Right. <laughs> and anybody who really understands music understands harmony. And once they achieve that harmony, then they can really start playing. Yes. You know, if you, you, if you don't know the key, or you don't know the scale, and you get in there and try to play, it's going to be an awful <laughs> contentious mess. <laughs> but once you know the key and you can play in there and through mm -hmm. harmony, then you can create. Mm -hmm. yes. uh, I was reading the Tao, and I got this idea the other day that um, the Tao invites us to harmony. But what do we do when we get it? Then we dance. Then we move. And then we play inside that. That's, it's, it's stepping into the next realm. It's, yes. The harmony isn't the end-all to be-all. No, it's, it, it's the beginning. Yeah. It actually creates multiple opportunities for creative interaction down the road. Yeah. Yes. It was the old, the old line, uh, one guy says, uh, I'm at one with the universe. And the next guy says, is that on a scale of one to ten? <laughs> you know? Uh, number three, this is very, we're, we're getting to the heavy, real heavyweight stuff here. When Lao Tzu was really on his game. Um, those who overcome others have strength. Those who overcome themselves are powerful. Mm. From chapter 33. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's it mm -hmm. in the end. Mm -hmm. And your own worst enemy is always, always yourself, yeah. almost, unless... Unless you're being oppressed by some right. terrible regime. Right. You are your own worst. I am my own worst enemy. I, can, I do more harm to myself than, <laughs> than one any day ten people could do to you. <laughs> over my entire life, it's, it's all me choosing yeah. many times to... Uh, and, and I think that's what Lao Tzu... I, I know that's what he, he wants people to take responsibility for the life that they're leading and, and, are, and are creating. And if we spend our time, again, trying to dominate, manipulate, control others, we, we aren't putting any t time and attention to perfecting our own imperfections, mm -hmm. you know, bec becoming a better human being ourselves. And, uh, and so the onus needs to be where it belongs, on us. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a really interesting point you just hit, Dr. Carl, which, is, which could almost be 45 minutes of discussion. And right, so right here in this simple couplet, he's saying, you know, those who overcome others are, are what was it? Those are strong. Are strong. Have strength. Have strength. Those who overcome themselves are powerful. Yeah. Now it's almost sometimes maybe it's people who who enable or they people sometimes fall prey to manipulators. Uh, a because the manipulator is an evil person, right? Is a bad, you know, terrible, terrible human being, 
but also sometimes because when we're being manipulated by others, we don't have to face our own inner issues. Mm -hmm. And when people are blaming others for their problems, people are blaming society, people are blaming this group, people are blaming the government, then they don't have to take responsibility for their own actions. And so many times it's not just lack of ability to control the self, but not even wanting to try because it's so much easier, you know, to, to blame my golf clubs for my bad shot, but <laughs> instead of instead of my swing, you know, it's not it's not the arrow, it's the Indian, as my dad always says. Yeah, or, or you're walking through your house and you bump your knee on the table. Yeah, yeah blame the table, right? <laughs> yeah, oh, good damn table, <laughs> right? <laughs> or when my dog, you know, begs for me from the table, and I go, "Dog, stop doing that." Well, I fed. The guy every day from the table, now he begs from the table. That's me. That's me. You know, overcoming the dog, doing that would take a yeah. certain amount. But uh, yeah, dog just being a dog. And yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that's... He's following his, his or her inner nature. Yeah. But once, you know, it took a while in my life. You know, I had a, f a friend that was a terrible manipulator. And uh, eventually I came to this clarity where I was like, wait a minute. This person is manipulating other people I know and love, manipulating me. And I thought, you know, I, I, the manipulator makes you feel terrible about uh, letting them go, mm -hmm. or walking away from them, yes. you know. But th there was a clarity of like, wait a minute, this person is a manipulator, and that's how they get through life, is manipulating others. Yep. And, and again, the manipulator... Now, this is unraveling. This is unpacking here. So the manipulator... <laughs> is manipulating the person. And we go back to this. Those that come others, overcome others have strength. So that person is overcoming me to get what they need. Mm -hmm. Now, if they had their own stuff together, they would be powerful. But their lack of power gets, goes on to me. And then I latch on to them because I can't look at myself. Right. I latch on to their manipulation. And we do this dance where nobody's <laughs> taking care of themselves <laughs> and everybody loses. Yes, yes. So, and the, by, by the, the moment you stop that and become powerful in your own thing, mm -hmm. suddenly you see the manipulation going on around you as clear as day. Yes, yes. Yeah, well, yeah, I think w once we're able to handle ourselves and our own life, then, you know, those openings aren't there for other people to manipulate and control us any mm. longer. We've, we've reclaimed our freedom. Right. We've reclaimed our freedom. And that's what it's all about. The bottom line, I think, is freedom. Are you free? Yeah. You know, or are you some type of a slave to yourself or other people or a prisoner to yourself, your own ideas, your own preconceptions, you know, or being controlled by another person? Mm. Yeah. Freedom, because that's the only way that we can actually be open to all of the continual fluctuation and change inherent in the Tao, right. in the flow of the universe. Right. Uh, and, and so that's why it's so, it's so important. It's so important. Remember, I think in one of the chapters, uh, Lao Tzu says something like, you know, knowing others is wisdom, but knowing oneself is enlightenment. Yes. <laughs> yes, it's true. Yes. Let's yeah. see here. Number two, and we need a drum roll. Todd, put it, put a drum roll in post. <laughs> Number two, when the world knows beauty as beauty, ugliness arises. When it knows good as good, evil arises. Mm -hmm. And that is all, I mean, once you really get that concept in your mind, reality completely changes. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. you, you see 
what I'm labeling as fortunate may be unfortunate. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you see just how everything exists, and uh, you could probably speak to this much better than I, than I can get the words out right now, but when you see everything as a continuum and a spectrum that everything mm -hmm. lives in, this cycle, this spectrum, and we're, we're pointing out one point in a circular object and mm -hmm. saying this is, this is that, but it, it's, it's almost, it renders judgment of many things meaningless. Mm -hmm. And you know, we, we live in a polarized world. And, and we have a polarized brain, yes. by the way, and which is why we live in a polarized world, I think. You know, everybody, our, our brain is separated in so many ways, right, left, front, back, top, bottom. You know, we have this, this, this high, the high frontal cortex, which is where we do all of our thinking and reasoning and judgment and emotional regulation. But then we have this deep kind of rat brain, this reptilian brain that's filled with all of this, you know, these violent <laughs> and uh, narcissistic type of urges. And, and so you look around the world, all of that's being projected out there. And so, you know, seeing, you know, you know, this that I have owned as something that I relate to, this is good. Right. <laughs> and anything that not resonating resonating with that is evil. <laughs> right. And now and so, you've created that and, dichotomy. And, exactly. We just created it. <laughs> or it didn't exist before. We just created it. And so trying not to be stuck along those narrow channels of how we conceptualize reality, I think, is a lot of what the, the Tao is about. Yeah. Because that, those are traps. Yeah. Those are traps. And, and they're, they're only going to cut, cut <laughs> if you get too close to them. Because there's, there's no way out of that. You know, because you can always create another dichotomy. Right. There's, there's no end to it. Right. And, and if I can, if, and if I have an endless series of dichotomies and you have an endless series of dichotomies and the next guy over there has a, I mean, where's the harmony in there? We're stuck looking at the 10,000 things besides yeah. the Tao. Yeah. And talk about creating karma. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that is. And then, I was thinking about this, the idea, the idea of mutual arising. Mm-hmm. Good and evil. Once we create these dichotomies, you know, uh, something only looks beautiful in context of something being ugly. Yes. Like when you see, you know, some kind of, you know, bomb goes off somewhere, and then you see this little one little flower that comes up, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that flower looks ten times more beautiful in this bombed out area than if it, I was just walking down the street right yes. now in L.A. on a pleasant yes. day, and I I wouldn't notice that flower, but because there's ugliness, I notice the flower. Mm -hmm. And it's because of ugliness uh, that beauty owes a debt <laughs> to ugliness <laughs> in a certain way. Well, that's true. That's true. Uh, again, in a three, in a third-dimensional universe where things are often defined by their opposition, uh, that's the way things appear to us. Now, one of the things that we're going to talk about meditation in a little bit. One of the things that comes from meditation is that those edges soften. Mm. They soften. So that it's not so much this or that, it's this and that. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there's space for everything. You know, I love that old saying, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Yes. That's true. And some things, like you look at a piece of art or listen to a piece of music, there's things that you absolutely hate that someone else absolutely loves. Yeah. And vice versa, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. and, and so the things that we 
that don't resonate with us, that don't just sit well, is there something wrong with them? Is it bad? Is it ugly? Yeah. No, no, not necessarily. Right. <laughs> it, it just doesn't, it, it, for whatever reason, and we don't know why, it just doesn't respond we just don't respond to it right i mean do you know why you like a certain color or why you like a certain food no. or why you know we, we don't know you know as one of my teachers says all the time we're clueless we don't know these things and and part of life is getting comfortable with that with that fact that you don't know we don't know everything, and we don't have to know everything because a lot of knowing is framed by these artificial dichotomies. Yes. And that's what Lao Tzu is saying throughout this whole book. It's, it's like, no, you don't have to do that. No. It's okay. It's, <laughs> and that's freeing. It's the most freeing thing. It's the thing. most freeing thing in the entire universe. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I was thinking, you were talking about, you know, do you know why you like a certain color? Do you know why you like a certain type of music? Or do you know? And I was thinking to myself, I didn't, like, if you think about the kind of food you like, right? I never made a conscious decision about not liking coconut. It just mm. sits in my mouth wrong, and I don't like it. You know, mm. every time I tried it, but every once in a while I go back and I try a little coconut. Still don't <laughs> like it. I used to not like coleslaw. Now I can't eat enough coleslaw, right? right? And my, my tastes have changed. Yes. And you know what? I didn't make a darn choice in the matter about liking coconut. But people, and, and I think lots of the things we like or find beautiful is on such a deep level that we don't, we didn't choose it. And, but, but we grasp, we hold on to those opinions and beliefs with such strength over something we didn't even choose. Yes. And we define ourselves by things yes. we didn't even Absolutely. choose. You know, lot, lots of times when there, there's people you fall in love with or uh, people you like, and you don't even know really why. It's just you like being around them, you have a great conversation mm -hmm. or whatever. You don't know why you love them. And, but, but it's these things that we kind of artificially hold on to. There's such a part <laughs> of ourself that we didn't even choose. <laughs> and we judge the other guy about all this stuff that he didn't choose either. Yes. You know, it's, yes. it's like when people talk about their sexuality and stuff too. Yes. It's like I didn't, I didn't really choose to. One day in sixth grade, there's a girl in there, and I was like, I like her. I like that, right? There was no conscious thing where I was like, I want to like that. You know, it's just, it's such a bizarre thing. That it, but it's very freeing. Somebody once asked me about at a weird thing for, I think it's like, oh, I, I, there was an old amusement park that was in Los Angeles. We're getting way off topic here, but called Marineland that was out. Oh, yes. That was out when I was a kid. I, I used to go there. Me too. And yeah, and so for some reason, when I got older, I started looking up websites where they had old pictures and I started collecting memorabilia from the amusement park. And, so, and someone asked me, and oh, and I went on one day and I found that they had this big sign of a whale outside of the entrance. Mm -hmm. It was about like a, I don't know, 30-foot pilot whale, black pilot whale bubbles right. that they had a big statue <laughs> of at the entrance. And I found, and this, this park had closed in 1987, and I found that they were hiding this big statue beneath the tarp in the lot at the Rancho Palos Verdes City Hall, city mm. lot, for some darn reason. I needed to go take a picture of this sucker wow. and say, this great piece of L.A. history is rotting and a lot. <laughs> and, then, and I put it out on Facebook. And I don't know. I, I, told, I told my wife, I said, I'm a nut. And I'm just going to put this out there because I just need to. 
And somebody asked me, they said, Todd, why, why are you into that? Why are you this attracted to collecting memorabilia? Why do you have this thing? And I said, "For I'd like to be able to give you a rationale. Yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. It just affects me on some level that I can't even describe. But and, yeah. I have to keep doing this, though. And, you know, as a psychologist, of course, I like to try to interpret things sometimes. <laughs> oh, you don't, know, do that. <laughs> don't do that. It's not bad, though. Yeah. You know what I suspect? You yeah. know, there, there are things like in our childhood, like that park, that were meaningful to you. Mm -hmm. You had a great feeling. And that whale or whatever that was that symbolized that for you yeah and then now you know we're always trying to recapture earlier experiences you know how we try to recapture some of the happiness and kind of carefreeness of uh lucky you know lucky go you know of childhood yeah and and i, I suspect it's just something like that yeah. you know it just it just reminds you of, of a time when you we're kind of happy-go-lucky, and you felt good, and that's the symbol of it. And now you want to bring a piece of that back into your present life. Right. Uh, you know, because now you obviously you have a lot more responsibilities and duties and so on. You know, yeah. you're a new dad and all right. of that. You know, you, got, you know, and so uh, I, I, I suspect it's just something that, yeah. that simple. Yeah, it could actually. be. Yeah. And, yeah, I, exactly that could also be the whales scared the crap of me, out of me as a kid, as a four-year-old seeing a killer whale 10 feet from me. That could have traumatized me beyond. Anyway, you could dig as deep into that as, as you want. I had one more thread on, on that thought about like, why we like things and why we don't, but it, it's completely slipped my mind. It'll, it'll, I'll wake up in the middle of the night. <laughs> it'll come back. That's what always happens. If you allow it, it always comes yeah. back. You keep the door open. Uh, and this, number one. Number one. Number one. Dun, da, da, da. <laughs> and I bring this up all the time, and this is the Derek Lynn translation. Thus, constantly without desire, one observes its essence. Constantly with desire, one observes its manifestations. Mm -hmm. And I think we've talked this line to yes. death yes. on the show. Yeah. But the idea that, again, when you look at things that wanting to see an outcome or wanting to see what you want to see... You are only going to see the reflection of it. You're only going to see its shadow. But seeing things with a clear mind and looking at things honestly, you will see the truth behind it. Yes, yes. Yeah, if we, if we go in with the preconceived notion, you know what we're really going to see? We're really going to see what we want to see. Mm. You know, we're, we're, gonna, we're actually creating what we see. Yes. I mean, we're not seeing the thing at all itself right. because we're not open to seeing it. We're seeing our expectations being fulfilled and that's it yeah, we are projecting yeah you know. exactly it's called projection and another psychological term yeah and i love how again all these deep psychological issues lao tzu he knew thousands of years ago yeah he knew that's it's true it's truly amazing it is again i think i'm sure that's another reason why this book so ancient still resonates with such power today mm -hmm. uh, be because it speaks to our daily life in a really immediate way. Yeah. It's like you can't escape his words, his his wisdom and his insight. Truly spectacular. It's like, it's kind of like Lao Tzu found this amazing metaphor for understanding the universe yes. in which we live. And it was years later through science, through experimentation, through people looking at things with the honest eyes he's telling us to, mm -hmm. told him it was true way down, way down the line. <laughs> and that's why I always, it was seeing like, 
you, if if I explained the, if if I was smart enough to really understand the mathematical physics behind certain ways the world works, and someone explained it to me like a physicist, I would never get it. Hmm. But Lao Tzu is talking about the same stuff in this book. Yes, but in a way that we can understand that the average person can understand, and it, yes. it, it's, it's a bridge yes. almost. Yes, and as you well know, you know there is a well-known book by Fritz Joff Copper called The Tao of Physics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, written by a physicist. Yeah. Wow. But, but relating it to the Tao. Yeah. Ah. I so for, check that out. So you scientists out there, or those of you who are thinking mathematically and scientifically, check out that book. Right. Yeah, The Tao of Physics. The yeah. Tao is for you too. Yes. So let's move on a bit. And uh, Dr. Carl, you want to talk a bit, a bit about meditation today. Yes. To further, further our uh, understanding on the topic. Yes, because... Meditation is a tool which is it's really a way of ordering our consciousness to be really receptive. That's yeah. what it really is. Uh, so that we can come to what? Truth, right? Yeah. The, the truth. Uh, as opposed to these you know, old ideas and notions and concepts that are rigidly imposed from uh, external sources. Yeah. Uh, Taoists say that the, the, the biggest source of truth, if you can do it well, is yourself. Yes. <laughs> uh, and so, but that takes some work. It takes a little practice. Uh, yes. It takes some practice. So, um, like yin and yang, you know, in, in meditation, there are two basic uh, approaches, an active way and a more passive way to uh, approach meditation. Active or more yang ways of meditating involve, you know, using something to assist your meditation practice. That could be a visualization, a sound, you know, like a mantra that people use. There are organ sounds, you know, that I teach, you know, that come from the Taoist tradition, you know, sounds that resonate with the energy of uh, internal organs and make them healthier okay. if, you, if you chant them. Um, images, you know, like I think they call them like yantras, you know, where you look at symbols. It could be the flower of life. It could be the yin-yang symbol. Just meditating on that, a lot of people get a great deal of information from that. So in other words, it's more intentional and planned. Okay. You you can also uh, do things like seeing yourself in a certain situation that you'd like to be, like to grow into. Mm-hmm. And the more you can actually see that uh, mentally, physically, emotionally, the more likely you are to actually attract that uh, to you. Right. That's actually the basis of that famous law of attraction. Yes. Know? But see, that takes doing, right, mm-hmm. as opposed to not doing, <laughs> right. which is the more yin approach, more passive and receptive. So, for example, if you simply, it's called mindfulness, you simply observe your mind, you observe your body. No, again, no uh, agenda. You observe your breathing. And that, that's usually when I meditate, that's, that's the approach I take. Yeah, and I I don't know yeah. I I don't know maybe I just I haven't practiced the others uh, but also I like the surprises. Yeah, yeah, you, you're just being fully present in the moment and just noticing what shows up. Yeah, Th- that's it. Yeah. Um, now I think that there's a place, of course, for both practices, mm-hmm. and and a lot of it depends on where you where you're coming from. You know, right? Some people, for example who have very active minds, you know, the so-called monkey mind is always chattering away, 
try to get them, you know, they think that meditation is shutting off your mind and going into this blissful place of serenity, you know, where you have no thoughts. Now, try to get a person who's kind of ADD like that to do that. Impossible. Right. And if they try to do that, they will give up meditation very quickly. Yeah. A person like that has to go with what they're coming in with. The, the, their mind is, is uh, active. And so by using that active mind, we can kind of slip them into uh, meditate, meditative skills in a way that resonates with how they are already thinking. Okay. Once they do that, you know, once we give them, okay, here, do this, do this, do this, think about this, this, and this, they're good at thinking about things like that. Right. They're good at that. And then once they do that, particularly if we have them thinking about things that help calm and soothe the nervous system and the brain, after a while, see, they're going to slip into that more passive form of meditation naturally without other, having to struggle. They're using the other one as a kind of a doorway yeah, or path into that. Yeah. So often for people who are new to meditation, I say, no, you, let's try something that's active because there's no way they're going to just shut their mind off and go into the cosmic void. Right. Forget that. Yeah. They'll just give up, you know. Um, and so, uh, there, by the way, there is a really good book on Taoist meditation practice that I recommend that teaches a lot of these skills. It's called Tranquil Sitting. Okay. A Taoist journal on the theory, practice, and benefits of meditation. Oh. It's by a famous kind of Taoist sage named uh, Master Yin. Uh, but it was translated by a couple of people. And it, you can get it on the Amazon or any other place. Oh, okay. Tranquil Sitting. Okay. A beautiful book that has so many, again, Taoist approaches and even some uh, Chan, you know, some uh, Zen Buddhist approaches for how to use your consciousness when you're trying to learn how to meditate. A okay. beautiful book. All right. Great book. That's so that's, I, I, I definitely got to pick that up. As, as Yeah. It's published by Dragon Door. Because <laughs> okay. I, I feel like if my main course of kind of spiritual study or philosophical study is kind of the Tao, then I should kind of... It would probably be easier to enhance my meditation with something I'm already familiar with versus if someone's talking kind of in a different spiritual language. Yes. Uh, like, you know, a Buddhist language or whatever. It could be just as effective, but I may not have the understanding. Mm-hmm. You know. And, of course, the nice thing about Buddha, Buddhism, particularly Zen or Chan Buddhism, is that it's a blend of traditional Buddhist practices and Taoist practices. Okay. It's a blend. That's why Zen seems so close to the Tao, much of it. Yeah. Because it is. <laughs> right. I, you know, its founder, Bodhidharma, mm -hmm. you know, he was, a, of course, a Buddhist patriarch, but he went to China and was exposed to Taoism and Taoist ideas. And out of that mix, out of that creative blend, emerged Chan or Zen Buddhism. Alchemy. Yeah. It's 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 and that and so that's why anyone who's following a Taoist uh, thought and teachings will find many things about Zen Buddhism that resonates uh, with their uh, practice. Oh, okay. Now let's see. So there's somebody listening right now who might be just starting off meditating. Uh, so it's almost like they they should know kind of a personal assessment. Can I get right into? Uh, the should I start start with active or go right into the what was the term passive? Yeah, no? more more passive yeah. or yin approach. Really, a re, it's really being receptive. Mm -hmm. Like you said, just 
you just kind of sit there and wait to be surprised and just see what comes. You don't have an agenda when you go in there. Right. And as I thought somebody with, who has, like, I would categorize myself as having a monkey type mind. I think maybe, <laughs> maybe everybody feels that way about themselves. I don't know. Because sometimes, you know, we're, we're all so alike that everybody thinks, oh, my mind is a, <laughs> chatting away. But, I, I, but only knowing the passive approach or for what I assume was the more passive approach that I'd learned or mm-hmm. looked up or how to do it or uh, talking from you, I think our first kind of major discussion was kind of a passive approach mm-hmm. on the show. So I found it the first couple of times, very difficult to get into that spot. But I think because almost I didn't know that there was a kind of a training wheels almost <laughs> to then get into that. I had to go straight <laughs> for the, the yin. And it took, I would say, about four times of really kind of not beating myself over the head, but kind of really trying to learn the groove. Mm-hmm. And then after about four times, it became pretty pretty easy for me to start down the path and right. really get upright yeah. well, on the bicycle great. of meditation that's and get great. in. So but, maybe I didn't have a lot But believe to... me, other people struggle <laughs> mightily, yeah. including people who have been highly trained in meditation. You know, my uh, I have a meditation uh, teacher who I go to. I actually bring him here sometimes. Um, he, he is one of the most, in fact, probably the most enlightened person I know on planet Earth. And uh, he often is asked to go to, Dao, to uh, monasteries, you know, the, uh, Zen or Buddhist type of temples and monasteries, and work with their senior monks, many of whom have been meditating or trying to meditate for 20, 25, 30 or more years. Wow. But they've been, see, that's the problem. They've been trying to meditate. They've been trying to do it right. You know, they're they're reading all these sutras. You know, they're reading all of this philosophy. And they're trying to do something. They're trying to attain something. And in the very trying, they can't do it. They're contending. Yeah. And so he has to go there and wake them up from (laughs) that delusional way of trying so hard to get it right and free them and that's his gift and he's just so great at just being fully present he he can only be fully present in the moment and being with a a being like that brings the rest of us more fully into the present moment as well yeah i you know i found that what was effective for me was a visualization and so you know you, you sit down and you you get comfortable and then you uh and I know this is terrible, but then I, I set down my iPhone and I put a timer on. <laughs> and so I, um, I find, you know, you close your eyes and you're in your mind's eye and then you start, mm-hmm. the thoughts start coming and the pictures start coming mm-hmm. and all this starts coming as, as normally. And it's kind of clouding the kind of screen of your mind's eye. And I just my, I have a visualization of windshield wipers mm-hmm. that come in and just wipe. And with yes. every wipe, with every wipe, the screen gets clean for a yes. moment. And at the same time, I believe it's your pineal gland you're telling me about, how you feel like you almost get this rhythm, this muscle squeezing in the mind. Mm-hmm. Am, I, am I right? Do you experience mm-hmm. that? Yeah, the pineal, it, it helps regulate the brain waves. You know, it, it can get you into like alpha. 
Yeah. You know, once it's really firing uh, coherently. Now, do you find that during meditation you can actually make it fire or control it? And I started realizing I could. So with every wipe, I'd almost get like a, I feel like a pump. Is that Uh crazy? No. (laughs) (laughs) That's like my Richard Pryor. Is that crazy? Is that crazy? And I get like a pump. And that pump was almost, almost, this is crazy. Now this is getting wild. It's almost like a Windex. That is cleaning, and the more I kind of pump, and the more I wipe, the more then I start kind of getting to the next spot where now the slate is clean, yeah. And now these other images and other visualizations that are, yeah, that are new start coming in. That aren't now the first thoughts in my brain are, okay, now you're sitting in a room. What what are you doing? What are you doing here? Oh, listen to your breathing. Do this. Oh, you have to do this later on today. Oh, be sure to call this one. Now, these are all <laughs> conscious thoughts that are normal thoughts I'd have walking down the street, right? Mm-hmm. And then once, you know, the pumping and the wiping starts, uh, this is weird visualizations being that I have a baby now. But once the pumping and the wiping start, <laughs> then I start going into this new thing where pictures might come in my mind of things I've never seen before, mm-hmm. v- thoughts I've never had before. Um, and these kind of new things from deeper now, as David Lynch would say, you're, you're getting into the deeper water and you're seeing the, the bigger fish mm-hmm. are coming out. And that's what Carl Jung called active imagination, mm. yeah, active imagination, awake, awaken, awaken, an awakened dream mm-hmm. state. And that has been used by adepts for centuries in order to get to know deeper levels of oneself. You know, because usually that stuff is filtered out yeah. because we're thinking so much, right? Right. But once you get beyond that, and I like what you said about like the windshield wipers. Mm-hmm. That's something that I use from some of the Hawaiian uh, spiritual training I've had. Ooh. They they say clean, erase, erase, clean, erase, erase. I like that. Because once it's clean, then we're in touch with higher sources of deeper inspiration. Mm-hmm. And that's the source of creativity. Right. And if you're a, a poet, a writer, an, an artist, you know, an actor, you know, someone who really needs to get in touch with really abundant sources of deep, uh, connected wisdom that comes from inspiration, this is so good for you. And it's, it's, it's so good. It's good for the world because you think about it. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're now digging up these things, and if you express them into the world... And p- other people find them, and now these ideas are out there, and you're you're almost evolving yourself, and in a way, you're evolving the rest of humanity. Yes. If yes. those ideas get out there, or if you communicate them to another person, exactly, or if you know you just get that energy out yeah. there, especially through your art, you know, your art, your music, your writings, you know, some product, something that you're putting out there and sharing with other people, but it's come from pure inspiration Mm -hmm. that's gold that is gold and that's you know as a as a person that you know because i write all day every day for work and it's when you're writing you're basically you're using ideas like tools or words like tools to convey ideas and you're basically working in the realm of ideas Mm -hmm. and there's a great saying which for i which i came to late in life which i wish someone had told me when i was 15 is it was some writer, I forget who, said, beware of all cliches of the heart and the mind. Hmm. Because when we first start being creative, we think we're being creative, but really we're just reworking cliche ideas right. <laughs> that have already been said, and we think we're great. Right. And then you realize the two true creative people are those that 
There's not a cliche in their writing. There's not yeah. a description for something that you have read before. Right. You know, when they describe, you know, um, you know, say that car right there across the street you see through the window is black. Now, if someone said that's black as night, that's a cliche. Mm-hmm. If you said that's black as and found some other metaphor, <laughs> uh, then now we're writing. <laughs> now we're, cr- we're actually creating. We're not rehashing other ideas. Right. So that well of pure ideas and fresh ideas and new ways of looking at things is the manna. That's, that's gold. That's, that's the gold, gold that yeah. a true creative person is really searching for. That's why I love, you know what I love is imagination. Mm. I tell everybody, the most important thing you really have is your imagination. Because think about it. Everything that we have that's new, that's creative, has come out of someone's imagination. Yeah. Or, some, uh, or the interaction of other of two people or more people, their collective imaginations. I mean, if we if it weren't for imagination, we'd probably still be sitting in a cave somewhere trying to make fire, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. But because of imagination, we have the modern world, you know. Now, some of that imagination needs to be checked <laughs> uh, be, because it's been uh, uh, infected by greed <laughs> mm-hmm. and has led to all sorts of environmental and ecological catastrophes in many cases. But the pure original idea, the original imagination, see, that was pure. Yeah. That was pure. We were, we were talking on a previous show about, we were talking about watching movies these days and, and, and the blockbusters where it's just nothing but explosion, 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 explosion. And that's not creativity whatsoever because we've seen that and that's mm-hmm. cliche and that's overdone. And then you have these characters which are superheroes, which... I, I got to say, most of those are really cliche characters that, you know, that are created. <laughs> and so it, none of it is creative. None of it is truly creative. But when something comes along, and I think in the weird word, I think in the entertainment business, they stop looking for it. <laughs> but when something truly new comes around, it is breathtaking. And, yeah, and, and a lot of what they're, the movie, what, you know what they're really looking for? They're, they're looking at marketing, advertising, and sales. Yes. See, especially those superhero type of things. See, all those things become a huge market for the extended market, you know, games, toys, clothes, you know, things that they can market to kids. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that that's, is what's driving a lot of those decisions. Yeah. Uh, you're completely right. Uh, I was reading the other day that somebody, somebody said something very know, profound, which is these days we're living in a, in a society where people have stopped telling stories mm. and started giving people moments. Mm. That people now are grabbing onto moments because that's what they think they want, not stories. Now, if you look at music these days, and... I, I, I like listening to, you know, there's elect, electronic music, and I, I like a lot of that, but lots of that is, it's a moment. It's wait for it, wait for it, boom, boom, boom. The satisfaction mm-hmm. of that moment of the build and then the bass, and the build mm-hmm. and the bass. Right. And that's a moment, right? We're building towards a moment. Now, a story is much different. A story in music are things that take you around here, take you down there, mm-hmm. take you somewhere <laughs> unexpected, yes. and then you, you come around to it. And there's certain music that tells stories, whether not necessarily through lyrics, but through music mm-hmm. and through how the music mm-hmm. changes and evolves. Not just here, boom, boom, let me beat you over the head <laughs> with a moment. And lots of movies these days are now 
I want to see what happens when Captain America meets Iron Man, right? <laughs> so they set it all up. Now, it's not really a story. It's just like, oh, wow. Now I'm, I, I paid 20 bucks, and now I see these two people on the screen together. They told me it was going to happen. <laughs> now it's on the screen. There's that moment. Yes. It's a moment, not a story. Yeah. And we're chasing moments these days, or people have found a way to sell moments. <laughs> it's like uh, lots of the viral content you see online is moments. You won't believe what happened when. <laughs> and then you click, right? That's what all the headlines say. You won't yeah. believe what happened when. It's not a story. It's not a story. It's a moment. So we, we're, we're replacing stories with uh, moments. And hmm. stories, well, that's because stories are much more difficult to write. Yes, you know? and to tell. <laughs> and to tell. And to t- especially well. It's not easy. You know, whereas with, with, a, uh, with modern media, which is also image-driven, it's easy to just show this moment and then that moment and then that moment. Uh, that's easy. Yeah. You know? And it's technologically possible you know, to yeah. do that. And so that's what they do. Right. You know, and you can do that millions of times, and uh, and it's um, it's profitable. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, George Lucas once said a, a special effect without a story is a pretty dull thing, mm. and I think that and you can extrapolate that not just for movies but for every other kind of art form uh, these days. So let's see here. Uh, you want to, let's see, where are we at? We've gone pretty long here, so let's get to the chapter on the Tao Te Ching okay. next show. Oh, I'll say next show. Oh, next show. Okay. Get a little long there. Sorry, I know it's very weird to take a long-form discussion on the Tao Te Ching and <laughs> to put it into a time frame. But yeah, there well, are other worldly constraints we have to deal with. Um, so we are going to speak with you next week and get into Chapter 22 of the Tao Te Ching. Yes. On uh, what's this Tao all about? Thank you so much, Dr. Carl Totten. And thank you. 